0: Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonises history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. So we are all for celebrating successes of people and organisations from those living in the continent, as well as those of African heritage. And last year, we saw a greater push to celebrate Black-owned businesses through the introduction of Black Pound Day within the UK, which provides a way of constructively supporting Black-owned businesses by encouraging people to purchase from one of them on the first Saturday of every month. So in celebration of
1: this, we are here and joined by Will Adwasi, a British Ghanaian recognized by Forbes as one of the top 25 leading black British business people. He's been named on the Future of Ghana's prestigious top 30 under 30 global list. And he is the founder and CEO of Vite London. He is an entrepreneur aiming to fund education in Africa through jewellery and industry, which has historically robbed the continent. Yeah, just a bit about Vite London. It is a Black-owned watch and accessories brand, selling high-quality watches at an accessible price. And a portion of each sale revenue goes to support children's education in sub-Saharan Africa and provides an underprivileged child with either a set of school uniforms or a solo powered lamp so that they have access to a renewable energy light source to study so yeah that's a lot lot. going (laughs) on a lot (laughs) I don't know how you've managed to get through this but amazing fantastic achievements thank you for joining us today
2: thanks so much for having me
1: yeah hi
0: well welcome to the show
2: thank you thank you
0: yeah we're really excited to have you on
2: no I'm excited
0: so for our listeners who haven't come across your story yet our standard first question we have for our guests are where are you from or where are you really from
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great question so yeah both of my parents are from Ghana in West Africa um I was born and raised in South London but yeah I, I'm of Ghanaian heritage that's where I'm really from
0: And did you visit Ghana much like growing up or was it South London where did you spend your time was it mostly in South London
2: yeah so mainly South London, I actually ended up going to boarding school for secondary school, so I was in the Midlands from like ages eleven to sixteen. But mm-hmm. aside from that, yeah, it was predominantly South London, visited Ghana for the first time when I was thirteen, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, went a few times in like my late teens, early twenties, and I actually relocated to Ghana last year, September, so yeah, I've been living there for. Quite a few months now.
1: Oh wow! It must be Mm. nice. (laughs) Just staring out here, more brick walls. But oh, that's amazing.
2: Yeah. So I'm currently in the UK at the moment, but yeah, I live in Ghana now. So yeah, that's that's the bit about me and my my journey with
1: home. And you mentioned just a second ago around kind of also going to boarding school Mm. in the middle. It's like, how was that experience for you?
2: Uh, That was very interesting. And um, for me, it was like a real eye-opener. So I grew up across like states in Campbell and, and Peckham. And you grow up only seeing one like side to the world in a sense. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm thrust into this boarding school where I'm one of a few Black people. And there's just, there's all this wealth around as well, which I wasn't obviously akin to growing up as much. So it was just a real eye-opener to the possibilities, if I'm honest. Mm. I think it really gave me a grounding that showed me that there was just much more to life than what like we were told and sold so yeah it was it was interesting to say the least.
1: Would you say that kind of provided you with greater motivation kind of seeing what was out there?
2: Yeah definitely and there were actually some you could say negative experiences that sort of positively shaped me from from that experience too. Mm. So for instance obviously i grew up on a council estate got a scholarship to this boarding school and then one time we're playing a game of rugby against like a local school so it wasn't like against another prestigious school it's just against a local school we lose this game of rugby i believe if my memory recalls right and after we lose this game which is very rare for us someone from my team refers to the other team as council estate scum obviously not realizing that someone from their own team like is born and raised on a council estate. Uh,
0: Um
2: and I I don't know, I just remember that. And to me, it just I think from a young age it set something inside of me that just always made me want to level up playing fields. Like I hate others looking down on me or looking down on others. So Mm. I just try to balance out the world where I can, which is sort of what I do now with my business, I guess. I get to sell elegant products and support education so yeah I'm just all about balancing out things
0: Mm, absolutely and talking about your business so you've previously stated that you didn't have experience within like the watch sector previously so how how did the idea like come about
2: yeah I was always just fascinated by watches growing up I collected g-shock after g-shock casio (laughs) after casio (laughs) um like even some of my siblings still mock me about it to this day like I just had all these random color colored g-shops I remember one of my cousins actually insulted me once when I was like 13 or 14 saying that my like my clothes weren't matching properly so ever since then I was like so fussy and picky around colors matching so if I had a red hat I had to get a red g-shop watch just to make sure things would match
1: oh wow yeah,
2: (laughs) yeah I literally grew up Just yeah, fascinated by watches, collecting them. And then I hit my 20s, still fascinated, still buying obviously slightly more expensive watches over time. Then it got to a point where I just kind of felt to myself that the type of watches I really loved, the really elegant, super expensive watches, I just felt like there wasn't enough of an answer to those watches at an affordable price point. Mm -hmm. And as I said earlier, I'd I'd always been passionate about wanting to make a change across Sub-Saharan Africa so just seeing that gap in the market having a love for watches and being passionate about seeing a change is what birthed Vitae London it was just like yeah those experiences is what made me want to start it and also knowing that not many black people are in the watch industry
0: yeah yeah
2: and because initially Vitae London was actually going to be a clothing brand and then I took a step back and I realized that didn't inspire me enough so how could Mm. I then go and sell it to other people and And tell others about it. So yeah, that's that's why I went down the route. I went. I wanted to do something that was more difficult because therefore it would stand out more. And that's that's why I watched it.
1: You mentioned around kind of like setting it up and kind of where the idea stemmed from. But during that whole process, did you ever feel like, especially you know, there aren't many black men kind of within this space? Any initial kind of challenges or imposter syndrome when you're you know looking to pitch for funding? Did that ever kind of Come about?
2: Yeah, it's interesting because in the early days, I didn't even know about funding. I didn't know about the different investments that were available. I remember so my my mum's youngest brother, so he's my uncle, but he's only two years older than me, and our birthdays are around the same time, so we're quite similar in nature, right? And mm-hmm. he's like, he's killing it as an entrepreneur. He's doing amazing things, and he stepped me down about two weeks into the business. And he goes to me, okay, so Will, like, I love what you're building. What's your exit strategy? And then I looked at him like, well,
1: I don't
2: know. I'm just
1: starting. <laughs> yeah, like I,
2: And I didn't even know what an exit strategy was. Like I, like, I didn't know about the world of investment. So in the early days, I don't think I faced the imposter syndrome too much because mm. I looked at the industry and I was like, I can design better watches than these guys. I can put in more materials, plus we give back. There's no reason why this business shouldn't win. That was my mindset. Now, obviously, as time goes on and you realise the barriers within the industry, imposter syndrome can kind of start to seep in. Um, In the early days of Vita, I didn't actually want to be the face of the brand at all, because I was just fearful that the middle-aged white guy from Yorkshire isn't going to buy a watch from a black guy from South London so Mm -hmm. that's like that was playing on my mind but again with time I just realized the power in owning my narrative owning my my story and yeah building a platform that people could relate to in the highs and the lows Uh, so all the things I saw as barriers in the early days have actually in turn become some of the best parts of the business
1: that's so true around kind of owning that narrative piece that you're saying especially because you want people to buy into the brand and I think if that narrative is a part of that as well so it's so important and it's nice kind of how you've been able to embed it within it as well for sure for sure
0: and what was it like shooting your shot with Richard Branson (laughs) that was (laughs) that 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 video honestly
1: (laughs) I cannot believe like when you did and I was like oh what (laughs) what
2: You know, there's actually a funny backstory to that. So out of like 10,000 businesses that applied for funding from Virgin, I was one of a 1,000 to receive the funding. Then out of the 1,000 businesses, I was chosen as one of 12 to get like mentorship from Richard Branson. So even before that video, I had met him briefly a year before. So we'd had a breakfast, all 12 of us with him in his, in his home in Oxford. So yeah, I met him then. And he had this whole entourage around him. There were obviously 11 other people. And so I had a watch with me that day. I spoke with him, but then I chickened out of gifting him that watch. Mm -hmm. And that was like one of the biggest regrets that I was like, how could I let that opportunity slide? Mm. Thankfully, a year later in the video you've probably seen, I was chosen as one of two people to get like mentoring from him again and then interview him in front of an audience so that's why at that time I was like you know what I'd rather I'm go all out like I'm just yes. gonna do it so in the middle of him just talking with us in the middle of us like telling him about our businesses I just got up and said hey I've got a watch for you and just gave it to him there and then yeah that's kind of the backstory behind that
1: <laughs> it's incredible honestly just being able to do it and I, and I think it just goes to show the importance of just putting yourself out there and just breaking through whatever like yeah shyness or whatever you might feel go wrong because to be honest if you're going to hand over a watch in front of a big audience they can't say no do you know what I mean (laughs) it's a a public
2: proposal (laughs) yeah that was was slightly my tactic I was like "Mm, you can't really back down now can you Um, yeah thankfully it worked out
1: (laughs) and what was the moment when you were like wow this is really happening that you were like okay this is this is it this is mine now and it's really kicking off like what at what point did you feel that did you get that sense
2: it's difficult it's a super difficult I I don't think there was a particular point it's been such a gradual process Mm. and it's still surreal to me at times like I've just come back from a US tour was doing like various media was on like some of the biggest TV stations and I was just looking back and thinking like what am I like what is going on like what am I doing I remember being in New York literally four years ago doing these pop-up shops where yeah we hardly made any money but I was just so hungry to get awareness out there so yeah Yeah. we're doing all these different pop-up shops I'm staying in the worst Airbnb like imaginable but I didn't (laughs) care I was just I was doing what needed to be done to, to get things done but now looking back yeah, we've just, we've come a long, long way since all of that. So I wouldn't say there's been a defining moment. I think mm. things like the Richard Branson moment have obviously been amazing. Things like gifting the president of Ghana and meeting Prince Charles. There's been so many things along the way which have been markers of, all right, you're going in the right direction. Right. Yeah. But I think success is a journey as opposed to a destination.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm continually going after the journey. So I don't really focus on a point of arrival, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And where would you say that like resilience comes from? Because as you said, you know, to go out and kind of create these pop-up shops and stuff and maybe not achieve what you wanted to, but you're still Mm. getting that awareness out there. But that takes a lot of resilience. Obviously, we're interviewing you now and it's out there and you're all over on the Internet and the brand is out there. But where does that resilience kind of come from to get you to this point?
2: Hmm. I, I guess for me, I put myself in a position where there's no other choice, really, if I'm honest. When I started Vitae, unlike most sane people, I actually just decided to quit my job from the jump. Um, and I went oh. all out. I went all out with the business. Probably not the wisest thing to do. But yeah, that's what I decided to do. So I don't know. I was in this position where if this fails, I have to go back and work a job I'm not particularly passionate about. So I don't really have any other choice but to, to brainstorm and to think of ways for it not to fail. So even with the pop-up shops, to be honest, we always broke, at least broke even with them. So they weren't failures as such, but yeah, obviously traveling to the other side of the world and only just about breaking even doesn't necessarily make sense. But for me, I just knew it, it was just Every pop up shop, we were getting more information, we were getting more data, we were meeting more customers. So we would only be benefiting from it long term, even if short term I didn't see all the fruit. So I think for me, yeah. the resilience is birth from focusing on the long term as opposed to short, and continually going after the vision.
0: And it all kind of ties back to your strong brand purpose as well, and the fact that with each watch sale it isn't just like because of that sort of social enterprise aspect to it. And how did that idea come about? Like when did you kind of tie the two aspects together, like the business, and then also wanting to give back as well?
2: Yeah. So our give back elements actually been involved from the inception of the business. So Vitae is actually Latin for life. So the whole mantra is to be the brand changing lives, in essence. And I always actually attribute the inspiration behind the give back element to my father. So My dad grew up in Ghana, but my mum came from more wealth, but my dad didn't. So my dad grew up like in in a poorer circumstance, was the first in my family line on on his side to learn to read and write, which obviously that broke a cycle of poverty that was affecting us for generations. And just looking at his story, looking at his journey and thinking about all the wasted potential across sub-Saharan Africa. My wife had also started supporting a charity in South Africa called House of Wells. And we saw with a little bit of money, we could make a big impact. So for me, from the inception of the business, it was all about how we can scale our impact. Because as individuals, there's only so much we can give that charity every month. But if we build a business with a sustainable model, we can give infinite amount of money to that charity. So that was the whole mindset behind it. And yeah, we've just been scaling it ever since. So with each watch we sell, we either provide a full set of school uniform to see a child through education for a year or we provide a solar lamp, meaning children don't have to walk for hours or burn harmful fuels to study in the evenings.
1: That's so good, that giving back element that you've been able to achieve, as well as obviously kind of having the brand out there is a really nice combination. And have you found that the business itself and how you set it up with that kind of social enterprise element has brought you closer to your Ghanaian heritage? Obviously, you're living there now, but yeah.
2: 100%. It's forced me to go out to Ghana and visit more. It's forced me to face the issues at hand. And yeah, I've loved being able to grapple with some of the issues, trying to think about more sustainable ways to support our people. I think at the end of the day, we can look to aid, we can look to outside help. But diasporans sent more money back to Africa in the past year than aid combined. So to me, that shows our power. That shows our potential and that's obviously us sending back money for family that's us sending back money for various different means but yeah to me it just goes to highlight our power and yeah like it's really enabled me to to understand home a lot better and to seek home a lot more
0: In what role can social enterprises such as yourself because you've mentioned around you know like age and things like mm. that but what role could social enterprises perhaps play in addressing some of these challenges that the continent faces? Because what I like about this business with Vitae is that it's Black owned and then it is also then helping our own, as opposed to sometimes it can be viewed a little bit differently if perhaps it, you know, there was some kind of savor complex attached to it. But mm. what role do you think that social enterprises can play in addressing some of these challenges?
2: I think all enterprises should become more socially minded in general we live in a capitalist structure right in a world like the world we live in unfortunately change can't occur unless capital is distributed like capital is at the core of a lot of the things the industry and the world is built on yeah yeah so for me the way I view it is if more businesses were conscious If more businesses were thinking about their footprint, were thinking about the impact they can make, the world that we want to see change would change at a much faster rate. So Mm. I think, yes, more social enterprises need to need to happen. But I genuinely believe more and more businesses just need to be socially minded and we'll we'll actually start to see the world we want to see.
1: Definitely. And I think there's definitely a point around when businesses do it, doing it in an authentic way. Because I think one of the good things, I think you've been able to find a balance to be able to do it in a way which is you feel like you're helping, but there's an element of authenticity there. I don't know what it is, but I think sometimes you do get organisations who have this kind of social element, but it kind of feels disconnected, if that makes sense. But I think the fact that you have that connection and... The heritage piece as well, I think definitely helps in terms of making sure that what you're doing very much, you know, from a consumer perspective, it feels very authentic. But do you feel like as consumers, is there a role we can play in this whole kind of conscious capitalist movement at all?
2: Yeah, I, I think the power is in the money at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. it's in our buying decisions as consumers. It's in the brands we advocate and push for, because at the end of the day, brands are going to go where the money is and if yeah. if all the consumers are thinking consciously and all their money is going to businesses in that vein there's going to be an automatic reaction where brands naturally just have to be more conscious in order to survive let alone thrive mm. so i think yeah consumers definitely play a part especially the younger generation your millennials your gen z etc as we more continually change the way we view the world and the way the world should operate and where we fight against a lot of the systems we see i believe it will push more and more businesses down that route
0: what would you say in terms of this moving along the conscious capitalism route what would you say is kind of coming up next for the brand uh, are there more <laughs> yeah, excited ideas you want to share like what's <laughs> what's coming <What's> i <laughs> got the what's, eyes what, emoji what's coming next? <laughs> I mean, uh.
2: for us it's just about it's just about scale we want to do what mm. we have been doing, but on a much larger scale, we want to be able to impact more lives. That's genuinely our focus right now. It's just about scaling what we're doing. We thankfully had some amazing opportunities come our way in terms of retail. So we're in one of America's largest stores now called Nordstrom, which is, which has
0: Congrats. been amazing. Yay. We're in talks <laughs> <of them.
2: laughs> thank you, thank you. We're in talks of another store. <laughs> which i won't mention the name yet but we're in talks with another very large store n- larger than Nordstrom, which is super exciting wow. too so yeah it's just about scale because if we scale we can go beyond the impact we're making with obviously solar lamps with school uniform etc and we can go into mm. other realms there's there's other things we're passionate about doing such as getting to a point where we can build libraries where we can even build mm. schools like why not why not build a business big enough where we can do that so the long and short of it is what we've been doing, but at a larger scale. That's that's our vision.
1: That's incredible. Honestly, what you've been able to achieve and where the brand is going and just the amount of development and just support you will also be able to provide back into the continent is fantastic. Like such an amazing concept, but also an amazing brand. So thank you so much for chatting with us, Will. No worries. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Where can they find retail London?
2: cool so on social media all of my handles are the same so it's literally my full name which is william followed by a adwesi which is a-d-o-a-s-i so yeah that's where people can find me and then the brand is uniform across all social media Mm -hmm. so the brand is vitae london across all accounts which is v-i-t-a-e followed by london
1: amazing
0: perfect amazing thank you so much
2: no worries thanks
0: thank you for your time
1: thanks for
2: having me and thanks for thanks for pushing our narratives i think platforms like this are super important so yeah thank you so much
0: oh thank you